Hello, we're John Apostolic Church family and those visiting with us. Welcome. I hope you had the chance last week to hear Pastor Llewellyn as he kicked off our new sermon series that we're calling Parables of the Kingdom. He spoke about whiners not making great workers. I actually apologized to him in our staff meeting this week, just in case I was one of those co-workers that he was referencing that was just a little too whiny. You know, as you'd expect, he was very, very gracious with me. In the upcoming few weeks, we will be continuing to highlight instances where Jesus explained the intricacies of his kingdom through the use of stories or parables. The kingdom is essentially a description of the king's domain. We have a wide variety of examples in the world today of royalty as a part of a governmental system. Canada, of course, is a constitutional monarchy, and we still have ties to the Windsors and specifically to Queen Elizabeth. We're certainly praying for the Queen and her family after the news of Prince Philip passing away. What a legacy to live 99 years and to be married for more than 70 years. When we think of the Queen, she has a dominion or a domain where she has influence or an ability to govern. One of her titles is the Sovereign. In modern times, her authority to govern has been changed or curtailed a bit. Within Britain, the Queen is said to have a special relationship with the democratically elected Prime Minister. She has the right to officially ask the winning party to form government, and she meets with the Prime Minister on a regular basis to exert her influence. That authority is delegated to the Governor-General in Canada and then to the Lieutenant Governors here in our provinces. We're currently without a permanent Governor-General in Canada, and my prayer is certainly that they would find someone who would be aligned with Christian values, especially since the Queen is also known as the head of the Church of England. We've seen, though, down through history that although the, the Queen is known as the Sovereign, that's one of her titles, it doesn't mean that people always follow her leading. Not even her own family is immune from going their own way and making a controversial decision or two. In that same line of thinking, Jesus has the authority to rule and reign wherever he is given invitation to govern. One day, after the second coming of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord. But right now, we're living in the age of grace meaning that everyone has the opportunity to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and allow him to set up his kingdom inside of our hearts and then apply his kingdom principles through our actions. But he doesn't force anyone to believe. There's a reason why Jesus included the instruction in the Lord's Prayer to pray for thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're still living in a time of choice, where we allow his kingdom to rule in our hearts or not. And our prayers make a difference to his kingdom being established in those around us. As Billy Graham said, the whole world is living in the age of grace. Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world and extended his mercy and grace to whoever will receive him as Lord and Savior. God's offer of forgiveness and a new life still stands. But this period of grace will not go on indefinitely, and someday it will be too late for men and women to repent and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is the day to say yes to the offer of salvation from Jesus and allow him to establish his kingdom in your heart. 
It's very easy to have an incorrect view of the kingdom and believe that we should somehow be physically overthrowing the corrupt kingdoms of this world. We know from the gospels that the, that the disciples had a wrong view of what Jesus meant when he spoke about his kingdom. They believed it would be a military invasion that would overthrow their corrupt Roman oppressors. It's why one of the disciples pulled out a sword and cut off the ear of the Roman soldier who had come to arrest Jesus. He thought it was time to go to war to, an, to establish an earthly kingdom. But Jesus bent down, picked up that ear, and placed it back on the soldier's head. It wasn't time for a military occupation. Rather, Philippians 2, beginning in verse 7, says of Jesus, instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Hebrews 2, 17 says, therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. He gave up his divine privileges. We know from Revelation 19 that Jesus will return in the future. It says, riding on a white horse, clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, ready for war. And on his robe and on his thigh, it says, there will be a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. But today, we're living in the age of grace. So it's a present and a future kingdom. And how we steward our decisions today impacts our eternity. That word kingdom used throughout the New Testament is the Greek word basilia. Its definition includes royal power, kingship, dominion, rule of the royal power of Jesus as the triumphant Messiah, of the royal power and dignity conferred on Christians in the Messiah's kingdom, a kingdom, the territory subject to the rule of a king. And the kingdom was a critical component in the teaching of Jesus. We really want to challenge each other in this sermon series. There have been mischaracterizations about the kingdom in churches throughout history, but that isn't a reason to stop speaking about it. It's the reason to keep teaching about it and to get it right. So today, we're focused on the parable of the yeast from Matthew chapter 13. In verse 33, it says, Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Did you know that's the whole parable? One verse? Luke actually speaks to this parable as well, and he stretches it out an extra verse. But even those two verses don't really offer any further explanation. So I'm tempted at this point just to say, you know, thanks for coming out. I hope that's clear to you. You know, God bless you and send you on your way. But no, don't worry. I have a few more insights that I want to share with you today. That word yeast is also translated as the word leaven. When you make bread, yeast or leaven is the ingredient added into the bread dough that causes it to ferment and rise to make the bread light and fluffy after it's baked. Leaven was originally made famous in the Bible during the exodus from Egypt. 
The Israelites sacrificed the Passover lamb and applied the blood to their doorposts so the angel of death would pass over their home. Then, as it says in Exodus 12 and verse 8, that same night they must roast the meat of that lamb over a fire and eat it along with bitter salad greens or bitter herbs, another translation says, and bread made without yeast. It would be a feast celebrated annually to recall what God had done to deliver them from Egypt. Picking it up in verse 17, it says, Celebrate this festival of unleavened bread, for it will remind you that I brought your forces out of the land of Egypt on this very day. This festival will be a permanent law for you. Celebrate this day from generation to generation. The bread you eat must be made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day of the first month until the evening of the 21st day of that month. During those seven days, there must be no trace of yeast in your homes. Anyone who eats anything made with yeast during that week will be cut off from the community of Israel. As they fled Egypt, making their bread without yeast was a symbol of the haste of their departure. When it was time to flee, it was time to go. Now, Sometimes God asks us to do unusual things like that, even now. You know, the children of Israel, they had been in Egyptian slavery for 430 years, and then all of a sudden, it was time to leave immediately. It made me wonder, you know, why didn't God give them some extra warning of their departure date? You know, go ahead, keep breaking, baking your bread as normal, but just be aware, in a few weeks, you'll be leaving. But instead... He brought this immediate moment of decision. It was time to leave now. In the kingdom of God, there's always a reward for obedience. And their reward was freedom. They could have said, no, Lord, I just want to keep baking my bread with leaven. The answer to that, of course, would have been, well, go ahead, but you're going to miss the last caravan out of town. Egypt is a picture of our lives before Christ as we lived in slavery to sin. The blood of our Passover lamb, Jesus, made a way for us to enter the promised land, which is a picture of our lives in Christ, in his kingdom, after accepting him as Lord and Savior. The blood of the lamb, Jesus, must be applied to our hearts through a confession of faith. In the Bible, leaven was often a symbol of sin, and sweeping it from their homes is a picture of our confession of sin. While addressing the permissiveness of sexual sin in the Corinthian church, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. It's the idea that allowing the leaven of sin to remain unchecked will corrupt us. Jesus spoke directly to this issue with the disciples after he had fed the 4,000. They had just participated again in a miracle of multiplying food to feed a crowd. 
As they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. At this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying. So he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes. Can't you see? You have ears. Can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterwards? And you can almost see the disciples in this moment, probably just like dropping their head. 12, they said. And then Jesus said in verse 20, and when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet? He asked them. He's saying, listen, boys, I am not talking about bread. Instead, he was speaking of the corrosive effect of ungodly influences and unsanctified thinking. In this context, yeast was sin. Be on guard against the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. First, it was the sinful, sinful thought patterns of the Pharisees. That leaven is a religious worldview and a system of thought that made external behaviors and rituals a replacement for the need to have a rightly aligned heart. It stands in stark contrast to the leaven of the kingdom that was spoken of in Matthew 13 where God writes his statues on our heart and we're sanctified from the inside out. The leaven of Herod was the accumulation of worldly power, which is self-centered and self-serving, bringing glory to ourselves rather than giving glory to God. It's a political spirit that seeks to divide for personal gain rather than to unite for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. You know, I love, like I know you do, I love living in Canada, in a democracy. But superseding that is a knowledge that I am a loyal subject of the King of Kings. He is my sovereign, and I will choose to seek his kingdom first. If our politics gets in the way of our ability to influence someone towards a relationship with Jesus and entry into his kingdom, we're being controlled by a political spirit and not the spirit of God. Now, that doesn't mean that I ignore all the rules implemented on earth by politicians. I don't get to drive as fast as I want to in my car, even if I happen to be preaching the gospel to someone over the phone as I drive. Living in a democratic system like ours, it has so many blessings. The disciples we know in the early church, they were not living in a democracy. They understood suffering to a level that we can't really understand or comprehend in the Western world. They were living under the rule of emperors like Nero, who were dipping Christians in tar and lighting them on fire to light his garden parties. We need to be really wise in our descriptions of the inconveniences we encounter, especially through this pandemic season. Let's understand the difference between irritations and persecution. We have the blessing to be able to push back in love against those in authority in this country without fear of being thrown into the Roman Colosseum with the lions. We shouldn't disengage from participation and consultation with the government and those in the political realm. At a bare minimum, we should be supporting 
and loving and cheering on those in politics from any political stripe who are standing up for kingdom righteousness and voting accordingly. But as we do, we cannot allow a political spirit to cause division with people we're meant to influence and introduce to Jesus Christ. The political spirit is desperate for power and will eventually take brutal action to get it, even if it's in its origins being dressed up in the language of equality. If your choice of political candidate is causing you to hate fellow Christians or your unsaved neighbor, then you're under the influence of a political spirit. If we've become so rigid in our niche theological views that it causes us to break fellowship with fellow Christian brothers and sisters, then we're under the influence of a religious spirit. If we find ourselves regularly thinking that someone who has clearly professed faith in Christ isn't quite as pure as we are in some theological doctrine and needs to be labeled as a false prophet, we just might be under the influence of a religious spirit. If you have adjusted the message of grace and changed the requirement for being a Christian to anything beyond the simple acceptance of the blood of Jesus, you're under the influence of a religious spirit. As Paul said in Galatians 5 and verse 9, this false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. If you believe that a Bible teacher isn't giving enough time to your favorite topic and needs to be replaced with someone who sounds exactly like you, there's a good chance you're under the influence of a religious spirit. If we believe that our ministry hasn't quite been acknowledged high enough and we need a more prominent place to teach everyone the, uh, the right way to do things, we're likely under the influence of a religious spirit. You know, there's a joke. Maybe you've heard me share it in church before. If you have, you can still laugh along. You know, be nice to me as we go. It's about a man who's, uh, who's out for a walk. It says, I was walking on a bridge when I saw a man about to jump off. I tried to dissuade him from committing suicide and told him simply that God loved him. A tear came to his eye. I then asked him, are you a Christian, a Jew, a Hindu, or what? He said, I'm a Christian. I said, me too, small world. Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. I said, me too. What denomination? He said, Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, well, me too. Northern Baptist, conservative Baptist or Northern liberal Baptist? He said, Northern conservative Baptist. I said, well, that's amazing. Northern conservative fundamentalist Baptist or Northern conservative reform Baptist. He said, Northern conservative fundamentalist Baptist. I said, remarkable. Northern conservative fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes region or Northern conservative fundamentalist Baptist Eastern region. He said, Northern conservative fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes region. I said, it's a miracle. Me too. Northern conservative fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes region council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. He said, Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. I said, die, heretic, and I pushed him over the rail. You know, I've felt like that guy at times with the hands of people trying to push me over the rail. Someone wants to break fellowship with me because I don't agree with them quite vigorously enough on some fringe theological, I'll call it a hobby horse. People are quick to cancel each other in this culture, even in the Christian culture. It is the very opposite 
of the fruit of the spirit of long-suffering, where we bear with one another in love, even when we disagree. The cancel culture ways of the kingdoms of this world have an absence of forgiveness, and it is absolutely counter to the methods of the kingdom of God. Rather than falling into that trap, we should be praying and behaving in alignment with Revelation 11, that the kingdoms of this world will be the kingdoms of our God. Let the leaven of the kingdom permeate our lives with brotherly love as a hallmark in our relationships. The only way of escape from all of those snares of sin and offense is confession and an offer of apology when we've sinned. And when somebody comes and apologizes to us to forgive quickly without caveats, that's the leaven of the kingdom. We sweep out the other leaven out of our hearts through confession of sin to God and sincere apology to those we have excluded or mistreated. And we do it with haste when the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes to our hearts. Don't wait to make things right. Like that last night in, in Egypt, today is the day to make it right. Pray for God, as the psalmist says, to create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. As we stay in his word, listening to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, taking action on those areas where he brings conviction and remain in a close community of Christians with accountability, we can evict the leaven of sin and allow the leaven of the kingdom to permeate our every thought and action. In the moment of our, of our sincere confession in Christ, our spirit was completely regenerated and made perfect. We were immediately seated in heavenly places and our entry into heaven was irrevocably secured. But we are also still being saved in our souls, in our mind, our will, and our emotions. We're working out our salvation with fear and trembling daily realigning our thoughts and behaviors to the ways of our king and his kingdom methods, confessing our sin as we pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, allowing the leaven of the kingdom to permeate every part of us and allow the overflow of our transformed hearts to permeate every part of human society and transform the lives of the people around us as well. We don't pursue some misguided theory of world domination through a violent takeover. It will be a revolution of love where the truth of who Jesus is and the benefits associated with a life aligned with his changes the atmosphere first within our hearts and then in every area of society that we influence. And ultimately, one day we will be saved when we pass from this life through death or when the trumpet sounds and the king, Jesus, returns for us, his bride, the church. So the kingdom, it's not fully manifest, but at the return of the king, when he returns, it will be known to all. And that day of the second coming of Jesus Christ will come, the Bible says, like a thief in the night. No one knows the hour or the day except the Father. And in the meantime, we do what the Bible says, watch and pray and be about the Father's business, allowing the yeast of the kingdom of heaven to do its work, permeating human society, penetrating hearts, expelling evil and transforming lives. 
as we close today, I just want to pray that we would cooperate with the prompts of the Holy Spirit. That as he is, especially for those of us who are in Christ, where there is a working out, where we are allowing the leaven of the kingdom to do its work in our heart, that we would cooperate with that plan. And if you haven't yet come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, let today be the day that you cry out to Jesus to be saved. He is right there. He's made that offer. And it's as simple as you saying, yes, Jesus, I believe. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for the mighty power of your kingdom. That God, we acknowledge you again. Jesus, you are our sovereign. And we are going to choose, even in this day of grace, we're going to choose day by day to follow your ways, to advance your kingdom, to allow your kingdom to be more fully established in our heart. And then God, see that transforming effect that comes in our spheres of influence, Lord God. I just pray in Jesus' name, for everyone today, Lord, that you, I just know by your spirit, you're speaking to hearts. You're drawing people deeper, Lord. I just pray that each one of us would say yes to that offer of transformation and we would continue on that path with you, Lord God, allowing the yeast of the kingdom to transform us today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, we'd love to hear from you. Or if this is your first time, especially, we'd love to hear from you. You could reach out to the church. You could track us down on reginaapp.com is our website and you'll find information about classes and opportunities to connect at our church and also contact information that's on there as well. So as you go today, just know that you're loved and we, uh, we're just praying for you on a daily basis that you'll see the kingdom of God established in yourself and to those around you. God bless.